Welcome to the Crux Podcast and Sermon of the Week. For more information about the Crux Ministries and Summit Church, please visit us at summitsanmarcos.com. Twenty nineteen fall semester. You guys ready? Joel's ready. I heard Joel. He's ready. Anyone else ready? Yeah, there you go. Okay, perfect. All right. So this sermon, uh, like I said, I felt like it was almost a forward opening up to what God's going to be doing this semester to get our hearts right and get our hearts in the right spot. And then it, uh, I believe God is just going to bust open the doors this semester. It's going to be awesome. Okay. Um, but first off, it has been a crazy uh, summer here at Summit Church. If you've been around, you've heard the crazy testimonies. It's been awesome. Uh, a bunch of us went to Mexico on the Mexico trip and it was wild. We saw, I just want to share some quick testimonies. We saw, we were on the street. We went to the Revolution Street, Revolution, right? And basically, it's kind of like their Las Vegas street. If you've been to Las Vegas, it feels real similar. And you go down there, okay, it's, uh, there's a part of it, it goes down, and then it breaks off, and there's the red light district on it as well, okay? So we go down there just to minister to people, and we, we get there's a, a band there with all these like instruments and like the tuba things, right? And so we walk up to the band, and we're just talking to them, and then I get, uh, I feel like God says, someone's knee is in pain. So I asked, someone's knee in pain? And the dude holding the big like tuba thing, right? He says, oh, my knee's in pain. And so we pray and he gets totally healed on the spot right there in front of everyone. And then I said, hey team, just start praying for people. And all of a sudden everyone's hearts open. They go, we just start praying for all the different people and the whole band gets saved, right? And then afterwards they're thankful and they play us a big old song. It was super awesome, right? The same night on the same spot, then basically there's this, uh, there's this woman who then it comes up and we start to pray for her and we start to talk for her. She full on, we're praying for this random stranger lady, doesn't know the Lord. She full on goes out under the power of God. We're praying for her and she just starts to fall. And we're like, oh, whoa, whoa, catch her, right? And she, then she's laying on the ground and then she starts kind of like making a weird face and we're starting, I'm like, oh, I've seen this before. And it was totally like a demonic thing. The lady gets, del- she's on the cement in the middle of the red light district, gets delivered from a demon, right? And then gives her life to the Lord, gets set free, basically, basically gets up and is like, what happened? Where am I? <laughs> right? And they're like, well, you're free. And then she gives her life to the Lord right there on the red light district, right, in, in Tijuana. And then what we do is then we give her a protein bar because she's like, I'm exhausted. We're like, yeah, here. And we give her a protein bar. Then right then another man who saw the whole thing was watching walks up to me and he says, yo, you have a protein bar for me? And I was like, no, I don't, but I have something better. Can I pray for you? And, uh, and then so I, he's like, oh, okay, sure. We pray for him, and I just start, the Lord just starts giving me the, all these different pictures for this man in his life. And so I just start calling him out, and he's this big dude, and he just starts, cur- like, tears. You just see it's like the single man tear coming down his eye, right? And then so we're like, oh, the Lord's doing something. And then we pray for him, right? He accepts Jesus into his, into his life, and he basically right then and there makes him Lord and Savior. And then we pray for a baptism of the Holy Spirit, and he says he feels like a peace and a fire on his heart. And then what's cool is then he had on his side— he said he had all this pain. Laurel put her hand on his side and felt like a like a bump. It was either it was either like a hernia or a tumor or something, but there's this hard bump, and he said it was causing him a lot of pain. She put her hand on it. We prayed, and it literally disappeared in front of us. And the guy said the pain's gone, and he and he was touching it, and he was like, and he was hitting himself. He was like, there's no bump. There's no bump. Like it literally went away and the guy com- got completely healed, gave his life to the Lord. Then it didn't stop there. Then I, I, I just felt and I said, you know, I feel like God wants to talk to you, not to me, 
to you, but to you. And I said, close your eyes. He's going to speak to you right now. And right when I snapped my fingers, I said, what do you see? And he says, I see a giant hand coming out of heaven, picking me up, wrapping me in his hand and saying, I have you in my hand, my son. And you're just like, dang, like this guy, this guy. And then the, you know, the other lady's still like, what happened? Laying there on the ground. This is on the red light district in Tijuana. People got set free. People got healed. People got delivered. People got saved. I look over and Laurel is like waving at me. And she's talking to one of the women on the wall who's one of the prostitutes and she and I come over and she's like we've been praying with her she wants the baptism of the Holy Spirit and I was like I don't know what you did Laurel but good job right <laughs> and so we just pray for this this prostitute to receive the Holy Spirit get baptized in the Holy Spirit and she was sitting there she full-on they're usually on the wall like looking paranoid because there's pimps and there's people like and and she full-on eyes closed just was like hands open encountering God feeling his peace and feeling his love right this is what was happening like an hour that way, right? And I believe that this is just a type and a shadow. It's just the beginning of what God is doing in the entire region. I don't think he's just gonna be like, I'm gonna pour it on Tijuana and San Diego's not, eh. I think it's like close enough. They're the same region. I'm pouring out a fire and the Lord is tying the two together. And I believe this is exactly what we are gonna see in San Marcos. I believe it's what we're gonna see in San Diego. But I believe here, I believe even at the crux, I believe we're gonna see people get set free of demons. I believe we're gonna see people get set free free of addictions. I believe we're going to see people right there get encountered by the Holy Spirit. Right there, right here. I'm praying and asking God we see baptisms in the pool. Like I'm praying and I'm asking God that we see students go out under the power and then they're like, what happened, right? This happened again the other night. Another guy, Matt Cronus, if you know who he is, he's a wild man. I say thing. I'm sitting there and I look over and he's full on praying for a dude and he's trying to catch the guy because I look over and the guy's just like, falling and the guy wakes up and is like why am I on the ground what happened right because he just once again got hit by the power of God strangers they don't know to do that you can't call it emotionalism there was no pushing they just they just collapsed under the power of God and woke up with peace and set free from demons right and we didn't tell him we didn't have any theology to tell him about that right it just happened right he prayed for another one a blind lady he chased her down literally followed her prayed for her and she got healed and walked away holding her cane like she wasn't feeling anymore. She was just holding it and walking with it. And we had witnesses. We went to church the next night and they said, we saw you. We saw you fall blind lady and we saw her take her glasses off and walk away afterwards. Like they, they saw. So then the church got equipped and was like, oh my gosh, God's healing blind people in Tijuana, right? This is what's happening in our region. This is what's happening in our time, in our day. And I, and I say that to give you uh, every testimony. It says that, that the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That means every one of these testimonies you hear is actually prophetic where you can claim it and you can say, that's for me. That's for the crux. That's for San Marcos. That's for San Diego. This is, this is ours, right? And so uh, I, I believe this is going to be one of the most wild seasons we've seen here at the crux and uh, in Summit and in, in San Diego. God God's pouring out his spirit. Oh man, John Wesley, one of my favorite quotes, I have it in my room. He wrote, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come for miles to watch you burn. How many know it hurts when you light yourself on fire? <laughs> Dominic knows, personal experience. He caught himself on fire, right? right? It hurts, right? It burns away everything that can't withstand fire. When you light your heart on fire, it does, it's uncomfortable to stay in the place of on fire, right? It's uncomfortable sometimes to keep your heart passionate. It's uncomfortable because it means you have to begin to burn away all the other things that are less, 
right? Not even the things that are sinful, just the things that are less and can't stand in the fire, right? That, that there, there's something to the life of a Christian of keeping themselves on fire. You have to guard, we have to guard our hearts here to keep them on fire. How many know when you're running on a treadmill, it, 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 the options are run or go backwards. There's no, there's no stop. If you stop, you go backwards, right? There's no just like, you either are running or you're falling, <laughs> and I'm telling you, faith is the same way. Faith is movement, right? There is no just standing still in faith. You're either moving forward after the things of God or you're going backwards into passivity or lies or fear or backsliding or something like that. We have to be in a position where we are constantly saying, I'm moving forward after something, after something new. I'm running after. I'm going after it, right? And so if you want to keep your heart on fire, you have to actively stoke it. You have to actively put fuel in it. You have to actively cut out all the things that are keeping it um, from igniting, right? And do you desire more of God this semester? Are we okay just kind of coasting, you know? I don't want Crux to become a pond that is stagnant, where it's just the same people kind of being comfortable there. Uh, like it has to become a river that is flowing, right? It has to have new life, new things going in new directions. And I pray that this semester that God would ignite our hearts. And so really this, um, this message tonight, I just want to talk about just being on fire and igniting your heart. Turn with me to Luke 24, 13. Luke 24, starting in verse 13. Get out your, uh, your phones, if your physical Bible, Get it out. Bring your physical Bibles. Bring your physical Bibles. Bring your physical Bibles, right? All right. It won't die on you like your phone will. There's also no text messages coming into your Bible. Like you got to, you got to like get, get a physical one, right? All right. So here we go. So this basically, uh, this is the day, the context. This is the day, literally the day that Jesus rose again. This isn't a few days later. This is literally Jesus rose again early morning. This is like by noon or by like three o'clock or something like that. It's like this morning Jesus rose again. Like that's the context of this, uh, this, this whole passage. And basically what happened is Three days ago, he died. This is the third day. He promised he'd rise on the third day. And what happened is in the morning, two women come running in saying, the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. Jesus rose again. And yet even here, two of his disciples, not of the original, the 11, because Judas betrayed him, so out of the 11, right? There, these are two more. There's a bunch of other people who were disciples of Jesus. He had, he had the 12, right? But then he also had a bunch more that were following him that were being discipled by him as well. So these are two, two of those guys, all right? So they actually, they heard the rumor Jesus rose again. And they heard the rumor of what was happening. And yet for some reason, they have chosen to leave Jerusalem. All right, here we go. It says, verse 13, later that Sunday, two of Jesus' disciples were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, a journey of about 17 miles, okay? Emmaus was a town. It was about 17 miles away or so, and um, different translations say different things. You might see seven miles. You might see 17 different commentators believe different things, right? So, but basically, but the word Emmaus, it actually means the place of the hot springs, right? Or it means the burning place is what Emmaus means, okay? And it comes from this word burn, kind of hot burn, right, is what it, what it kind of comes from, okay? And so basically, two of these disciples 
They had a life-changing experience. Seven days ago, they're yelling, Jesus coming in, triumphal entry, right? They're yelling, Hosanna. They believe Jesus is gonna take over. He's the Messiah. Talk about like your conference experience. Like talk about like, this is it. Like the coming of the Lord is here, right? And then three days ago, he's dead, right? This is a roller coaster, right? But you know, you're his disciple. You've been following him for years. You've heard him say, I'm going to die, right? It's not a popular message if the speaker says, hey, I'm gonna die, right? But he says, he gets up and he says, he says, but three, but three days later, I'll, I'll, I'll come back. I'll raise his temple again, right? So he's told them this, right? And they last two days and then they leave. And so, so they leave. And I don't know the intents of their heart. I have no idea why they're leaving. I don't all this stuff. I, I don't know what happened. But I, but I do wonder why did his disciples, they walked with him for three years, at least give him the benefit of the doubt and wait till day three and on day four leave, right? Why, why leave on day two? Like why, what, right? That you, oh man. And so they leave, right? And there was this huge fire. Jerusalem was the burning place. And they leave to go to another place called the burning place. And I, and I know I'm looking into it. I'm looking into the word but for me, the first thing that stuck out with me here was actually like event Christianity of this idea of going from burning place to burning place. And this idea of we encounter God and we meet God and we're radical and we're like, this is it. This is the place. It doesn't get better than this. And then a week later, we're like, nah, it's over. I'm going to go somewhere else. And this idea of going from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Jesus said, wait there, I'm coming back. And they said, it's been too long and I'm discouraged and I'm grieving and I'm tired and I'm broken and so I'm leaving. And I'm gonna go to another burning place. And, and, and I see so many Christians, I love going to burning places. When I think of burning places, I think of like Bethel Church, like that's a fiery place. I think of International House of Prayer, that's a fiery place. Elevation, right, church. I think of all these amazing churches, I think of YWAM, I think of all these burning places for God and I love them, I've been to them. I wanna make like an annual pilgrimage to them, like I love it, right? Sponsor me in my pilgrimage to Bethel, I wanna go, right? It's amazing, right? But it's this burning place out there and God has called me to stay here. And, and what happens is I see Christians hop from place to place to place to place. And, and rather than trying to live with a burning heart and the burning place of their heart, and rather than encountering the burning man, they're moving from burning place to burning place to burning place. And they just become these like, they just follow the next thing, which can be good. And there's moments where you need a kickstart to like get back, right? And that's good. Go to these places. But for them, it's like they were supposed to stay. And it's just as disobedient. If God says, if God says like go to like Bethel and, you, and he said to go, it'd be disobedient to stay. But it's also disobedient if he says stay in San Marcos for you to go, right? But, but we justify it because it's a burning place. And there's nothing wrong. That's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. But it's a burning place because they didn't leave it. <laughs> right? And so it became a burning place, right? And so there's this idea that like, we have to create a burning place by becoming the burning ones. And that it was always, we weren't meant to go, but I've done, I'm not just locating places. We also go from camp to camp to camp, conference to guest speaker to different guest speaker. And what we do is we radically encounter God and we say everything's different, but then we don't feel anything or we don't change anything and it's been a month and then we just are waiting for the next conference, right? Or sometimes it's even Sunday to Sunday where I, I'm, I'm, my faith is 
Oh, man, because Summit, Summit's a burning place. This is a burning place where people are on fire. And we come here, and then a lot of times, though, there's people, by Wednesday, we feel like exhausted because we're not making our faith our own. We're not, we're not following the burning man, the burning one, burning God. We're just relying on a place. And there's nothing wrong with the place. I love the place. We need the place. There's power in the place. But we are always meant to first to be burning ones who gather in a place, right? And so we're always meant to walk with the burning man, Jesus. Man, what if San Marcos became a burning place known around the world, just like little Redding? I just drove through Reading the other week for youth camp. And it was like, it was awesome. And we drove by on the freeway. We're like, that's Bethel, yeah. And we like pointed to it, right? But it just looked like a normal town. We went to the Costco and I was like, Bill Johnson probably buys pizza here, right? And, and I, was, I was loving it, right? It was awesome. But I realized there's, this is just a town. It looks like San Marcos, right? It looks like San Marcos. And it gave me so much faith. We went to their Costco, right? <laughs> you know, it just gave me faith of like, oh my goodness, it's not the place, it's the ones gathered there. And so when we live from burning place to burning place, we live our lives dependent on something we were never meant to be dependent on. We were meant to be dependent on the burning one. Okay, go to verse 14. It says, they were in the midst of a discussion about all the events of the last few days when Jesus walked up and accompanied them on their journey. Jesus, they're walking and talking and Jesus kind of just like, hey guys, and just walks up, like, can I join your conversation, right? They were unaware that it was Jesus walking alongside them, for God prevented them from recognizing him. They were talking about Jesus, okay? They were talking about everything that happened, the rumors. What's crazy is they left knowing the rumors that said he rose again. Because they're telling Jesus about the rumors, which means they were his disciples, they heard he rose again, and they still chose to leave, Right? That's crazy, right? It's like, give him a day. Come on, you know, right? It says they didn't even recognize him. See, whether you realize it or not, Jesus always appears when you're talking about him, talking with him, talking to him. He is always there. More often than not, we just don't recognize him. When you share your faith with people, even when you're processing your faith with people, when there's something where you, whenever you're audibly talking to God or about God or anything like that, he is there, right? In your loneliest moment, he is walking beside you even when you don't recognize him, right? These people, there is disciples, it says. That means that they knew him and they didn't recognize him, though he was right there walking with them talking with him. Sometimes God's right there with you. He's talking to you. He's walking with you. But we, we don't recognize it because we feel defeated or confused or in need or we're just so focused on getting to a place. We, we forget the purpose and we forget the person because we're focused on the place and the destination. I need to get to Emmaus and so I'm not thinking about the actual burning one. The burning one's right there ready to reignite our hearts again. There's times where even it just happens. It's like, I've, man, this happens all the time to me where I'm just talking to someone and strangers will literally walk up to me and tap me on the shoulder because they heard me talking about Jesus and they asked me a question. I've been at McDonald's and someone was just like, excuse me, I'm sorry to interrupt, but what church do you go to? Because they heard the way we spoke about Jesus. I was mentoring a youth kid at, at Panera and this uh, another person walks up to me and is like, I I'm sorry, but I... I didn't mean to eavesdrop, but what you told him was exactly what I needed to hear. And so she was like, so she said, so thank you for giving me advice even when we were trying to. And I was telling, and she's like, and that really gives me faith to go to church again. So Jesus is there so often when you don't even recognize it. 
17, Jesus said to them, you seem to be in a deep discussion about something. I love it. He's like, what are you guys talking about? Right? Or you walk into a room and it's like real intense and you're like, hey, everyone. I'm sorry, I interrupted something. This is deep. <laughs> right? You know, that's what he's like, you seem to really be in a deep conversation. And then he says, um, okay, where'd I go? There it is. He says, what are you talking about? So sad and gloomy. I love that. He's like, what? Why, why are you so sad and gloomy, right? They stopped, and the one named uh, Cleopas, that's when we know it's not the normal 12 disciples, it's other disciples. He answered, haven't you heard? Are you the only one in Jerusalem unaware of the things that have happened over the last few days? It's just like, are you, what are you like? Are you under, are you Patrick Starr? You live under a rock? Like, what are you, like, how, how could you possibly not hear what happened, right? My question is, how could you hear what happen and still choose to leave, right? Because it's like, ah, uh, right? But they're like, how could you not know? And Jesus asked, what things? The things about Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they replied, he was a mighty prophet of God who performed mighty miracles and wonders. His words are powerful and he had great favor with God and the people. But three days ago, the high priest and the rulers of the people sentenced him to death and had him crucified. We all hoped that he was the one who would redeem and rescue Israel. Early this morning, some of the women informed us of something amazing. They said they went to the tomb and found it empty. They claimed two angels appeared and told them that Jesus is now alive. Some of us went to see for ourselves and found the tomb exactly like the woman said, but no one has seen him. Jesus said to them, why are you so thick-headed? Ouch, right? <laughs> That's his response. Why are you so thick-headed? Right. Uh, why do you find it so hard to believe every word the prophets have spoken? Wasn't it necessary for Christ, the Messiah, to experience all these sufferings and then afterward enter into his glory? This is the number one thing I see in Christians having a hard time staying on fire for Jesus. It's thick-headedness. But it, thick-headedness looks different than a lot of us think. Meaning they know too much for their own good. They become too familiar with the gospel. They, they know so much information about Jesus. No, they're literally, they're telling Jesus all the information and the news about himself, right? And they miss him because they're so focused on telling everything they know about him, like information they know about him, right? They know so much information about Jesus and they have no revelation of him right in front of them. Right, and one week ago they're yelling, they're yelling Hosanna, right in this place, right. Jerusalem's the place to go, and a week later, they're leaving it all. You see, guys, man, so many of us, and I'm trying to see if I can tie this together. So many of us, we've been to church a thousand times, we've been Christians as long as we can remember. Some of us more, some of us less, but sometimes we get so caught up in like Christianese or hearing the same gospel or hearing the same story that we become thick-headed, hard-hearted, cold to the message. And then we just say, I know, I know, I know, I know what to do. I know, I know. And they have, they have hearts that have become calloused. Okay, their minds are thick to hearing God. Jesus is right there wanting to break in. And, uh, and they just tell him information about Jesus. And, it, and it's dead. How often do we miss an opportunity for Jesus to change our life because we already know the answers? We already know 
what it should have been. We already know what we think happened. And so we jump to these conclusions and we say, oh, I know, I know, I know the answers to pray. I know the answers to the Bible. I know the answers to Jesus. I know the answers to church, right? And we say these things and they seem so simple that we just write them off, right? And he, I love, it's awesome that he's actually tough on them here. It almost seems rude, right? But he's tough on them. And he's like, why are you so thick-headed? <laughs> he just calls them out, right? And he's tough on them because they should have known better. They were his disciples. They walked with him. And he's like, I walked with you. I foretold that this would happen. You're, the whole Bible talks about this happening. And now it happens. And just because you haven't seen it yourself, you leave and you go to a new burning place. Just because you yourself haven't seen it, you just kind of give up and move on. See, there's this thing in our minds, like a lot of times when, when our mind and like a familiarity kind of a thing, I believe is the greatest block to a heart on fire. Because we say, oh, I know, I know, I know the story. I know what's happening. I know what's going on. And we, we shut down. And anything new, if we don't understand it, we just leave it. And so many people, they know the truth, but they're unwilling to accept it in their mind because it doesn't seem logical. Or it doesn't seem, uh, or it doesn't seem, it's not with what they're comfortable with. They knew the prophecies, they knew the man, and yet on day three, even though they heard the rumor, they chose to leave. And, oh man. And Jesus says, stop being so hard-headed and open up your heart. Then he carefully unveiled to them the revelation of himself throughout the scriptures. That was verse 27. I love it. They gave him information about an event. And I love it. it. says, he carefully unveiled to them the revelation of himself. They give him information. He gives them revelation. Do we want more information about God? Or do we want revelation from him? Do we want more cool nuggets, cool things where church is like, oh, I learned this new Greek word today. Cool. And we're like, oh, interesting thought. Cool word, pastor. And we move on. Or do we want actual revelation from him that changes us? There's a guy I'm having our staff read about. Him. His name is Leonard Ravenhill. He talks about how we give out pearls of, of basically information, like cool nuggets, right? And they're fun facts. They're good information. They're good, important things. They're pretty parts about the Bible, but they're not seeds. And he says, whoever planted a field with pearls, it's a beautiful field but it's dead. It's not growing anything. And so often we come to church looking for pearls of information when he wants to put seeds of impartation, revelation, grow inside of us so that transforms us. And we're happy with a new Greek word, but did we let it get to our hearts? Yes, it's in our mind. It's a cool new thought, but has it changed our thought? Or do we just say that was a good Sunday and we move on and we wait till we come back to the next burning place? Or do we let it change us to burning ones? Information will deaden your heart. Revelation will make your heart come alive. Information is earthly. Revelation is divine. We do not need more information. We need more revelation of Jesus. Information, more of it will make your, heart, your head hard. Revelation will ignite your heart. And we need to cry out, oh God, I don't want to know more like just more knowledge about you. I want to intimately know you. I want it to change me, right? 
And he started, it says this in the next verse. He says, he started from the beginning and he explained the writings of Moses and all the prophets, showing how they wrote of him and revealed the truth about him. Talk about the greatest sermon in the world. Jesus is saying, hey, let me tell you about everywhere I was in the Bible. You're like, oh man, I wish they could have recorded that one, right? Like from himself opening up, here's where I was all throughout the scripture. And it's crazy. Verse 28, as they approached the village, Jesus walked on ahead, telling them he was going to a distant place. So they get to the place, Jesus is like, all right, I'm going to keep going, right? They urged him to remain there and pleaded, stay with us. It will be dark soon. So Jesus went with them into the village. Jesus walked on ahead. Another translation said he acted as if he was going further. So basically, you have two options here. Either the plan, Jesus, because he was moving on. He was going further. He was going somewhere else. He says, I'm leaving. I'm going somewhere else. And because they compelled him to stay, he stayed. So you have two options. Either his plan, his plan was to be somewhere else, but they were able with their hunger to change his plan and make him stay with them. Either that's one option, or the second option is he wanted to stay all along, but he needed them to invite him. He wanted them to invite him, so he acted as though he was moving on. And I challenge to say that he would have gone if they did not invite him to stay. They had to urge him, plea with him. That doesn't mean they just say, hey, you should stay with us. He's like, no, I have to go. And they're, oh, okay, that's cool. No worries. Right? They, it says they urged him, please stay. That word for the urgers, they, they, it was like a forceful, like, no, you have to stay with us. Right? So I don't know which one it was. I don't know if his plan got changed or if he was pretending to go to reveal the heart, but he would have gone if they did not compel him to stay. Right? This tells me, like, oh man, this tells me that he longs to be urged and compelled to stay. He longs to be invited in. He's willing to change his plans based upon your hunger. Based upon the fire of your heart, he will change. Or he is willing to keep going unless you compel him in. Either way, it's because of your hunger and your fiery heart, he will stay. He won't stay because of your information. He won't stay because of your mind. He will stay if your heart burns and compels and urges him to come in. And I don't know about you, but I, if I heard Jesus just preach this long sermon, I would have been like, like dang like oh i don't need to hear a sermon again like a fire hydrant to the face like that is like i would be exhausted and if he's like i need to go now i'd be like okay bless you right you know or or if if he was leaving i'd be like oh wow man i don't want to like you should stay and he's like no i'm going i'd be like oh okay i don't want to impose or i don't want to and so often Oh man, what would we have done in their place? Would we have been satisfied with the greatest sermon we've ever heard and left and be like, I got a lot of information today. I got a lot of pearls, right? And been fine. Or would we have taken a step further and say, no, it's not about the sermon. I need you to stay with me. It's not about the cool point. I need you to stay. How bad do you want him to stay with you, to abide with you? Would I have let him go and just be like, I don't want to impose. I don't want to change your plans. Oh, you had plans? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, don't, want to, I, don't, want to, I don't want to mess them up. But they had the, like, the craziness to just be like, I don't care about your plans. Stay. <laughs> That's wild. Would I have been like, oh, man. 
Revelation 3.20, it basically says that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And anyone who will hear my voice, I'll open the door and I'll come in. See, the burning ones long, oh man, they long to have them burning in their heart. The door is called, is hunger. The door is prayer. The compelling, the urging, the asking of God to come in. He stands at the door and knocks. Will you let me in? But the burning ones are the ones with their hunger say, yes, come in. You see, pleading, that word pleading, it's humiliating. It means that the desire to get the thing is actually greater than your pride. You know, little kids, right, they don't care. They want the toy more than they care about humiliating themselves. And they're like, I want it, right? And the mom's like, you're embarrassing us. Please, right? Their, their desire to get the toy is greater than their, like, willingness to make themselves look like a fool, right? And so there's this moment where they're, they're pleading in urgency. It's, it's asking God to the point of, like, I'll, I'll give up my pride. I don't care. I'll look foolish. I'm asking you, stay with me. And somewhere this lie came into our life that says, well, if God wants to do it, do it. If God wants to do it, he knows where to find me. There's this lie that's in our heart a lot of times that says, well, he knows where to find me. He knows what I'm walking through. And yes, he knew exactly where to find them on the road. And he knew exactly where to leave them if they weren't hungry. <laughs> right? And, and he walks with them, talks with them, and then it taps into, now are you hungry? Because I'm going to keep going unless you compel me to stay. But so often, because of our cold hearts, because of our thick-headedness, we don't recognize him. And we just become okay with him moving on because we got our sermon. We got our burning in that moment, and we're like, I'm good until I get to the next place. And it, it's true he knows where to find you. But that doesn't mean he'll stay unless you invite him in. And this isn't striving. It's not works. I'm not saying that the more, the more you work harder, he'll stay. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that when you urge him, it's a father, when his, when his kids are saying, Dad, come home. It compels him to come home because of love, not out of works. But to, to, to basically substitute your prayer life under the excuse of the sovereignty of God, right? That's not how it works. And we say, well, oh, he had a place he was planning on going to. I guess I shouldn't ask him to do anything different. But when they asked him to change it, he changed it. He said, okay, I'll stay with you. Would we be the hungry ones, the burning ones? Don't just say, I guess, oh man, I guess I'll see. Man. What I love, they went from logical and hard-headed and Jesus rebuked them. And then they shifted to humble and hungry and asking him to come in. We see this whole shift happen in their hearts. Every day we have to wake up and urge him, compel him, cry out, God, I need your presence today. I don't need another podcast. I don't need another sermon. I don't need another burning place. I need the burning one to stay with me. Verse 30, and we're gonna wrap up because it's almost nine. Joining them at the table for supper, he took bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. All at once their eyes were opened and they realized it was Jesus. Then suddenly in a flash, Jesus vanished from before their eyes. 
Stunned, they looked at each other and said, why didn't we recognize it was him? Didn't our hearts burn with the flames of holy passion while we walked beside him? Another version says, did not our hearts burn within us? There was a moment where their brains, the information, the thick-headedness moved from their heads and their hearts began to catch on fire by staying in the presence of him. And it's great. They almost say it like, how did we not know him? Like, I know that's a familiar feeling. We felt that when we were with him before. And I felt it again. The only other time I ever felt that was with Jesus. How did we not know it was him? Because they were too busy in getting to a destination. They didn't pay attention to what their heart was crying out for. And he, he unveiled for us such profound revelation from the scriptures. They left at once and they hurried back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples when they found the 11 and the other disciples all together. See, I don't need Emmaus, the burning place. I need that burning one to get inside of me. I don't need more information. I need revelation from him. How can you tell if your heart has information or revelation? When they had information, they left Jerusalem. When they got revelation, they came back. Information will cause me to leave and go find some more information at another burning place. Revelation causes, compels me to go tell everyone. If you're not sharing your faith with people, chances are you're living under information and not revelation. Because revelation says immediately they left and hurried back to tell the others. Revelation compels me to share. Information says, let me get the other dude who knows the information. Let's go find more information. Information creates hard heads and they didn't tell anyone and they left to go somewhere else. Revelation made a fiery heart that immediately went to compel people to the same encounter that they had. They overheard them saying, it's really true. The Lord has risen from the dead. He even appeared to Peter. You can find out why that's important in the crux cast for the summer. He's like, even Peter saw him, right? Then the two disciples told the others what had happened to them on the road to Emmaus and how Jesus how unveiled himself as he broke bread with them. On the road to the burning place, they meet the burning one and it causes them to turn around and come back, right? We don't need the place, we need the person. Did our hearts not burn within us? We have a choice to have a thick head or a fiery heart. Thick, like, thick head is information. I know all these Bible verses. I'm good. I'm a good Christian because I do all this stuff and I know all these things. Or we can choose to live a life where we say, God, I'm not satisfied unless you ignite my heart on fire, unless you give me revelation, unless you give me seed, unless you change my life, unless I see others catch on fire. Are we happy learning about Jesus or will we seek an encounter with him? Are we happy giving out information or will we press in till we see others receive the same revelation of Jesus that we got? Does Does your heart not burn within you when he's near? If not, the answer is come back to hunger. Give up the information and come back to revelation. Humiliate yourself like they did. Humble yourself and plea and urge, God, make me hungry again. That's how you catch your heart back on fire. God, make me hungry. Pray for hunger until you have it. And then when you have it, you keep praying for it because now you have it. The answer is the same. Pray for hunger. Pray that God ignites your heart, that he stops you on the road to Emmaus, turns you around, and ignites you. Your number one job as a Christian is to get your heart on fire. Feeding the poor comes second. 
Evangelism comes second. Helping people. Jesus said, you will always have the poor among you, but she chose the better. That was getting her heart on fire with Jesus, connecting with him. Your number one job before your spouse, before your school, before your job, before your family is keeping your heart on fire for Jesus. And that's what we know. In in the book of Revelations, this is what he says. He says, I see the works you've done, but unless you turn back to your first love, I'll remove the lampstand, which is your influence. I'd rather you not evangelize because you're sowing pearls and not seeds. I need fiery hearts to evangelize. Thank you, Lord. Let's just stand together and pray. It's nine o'clock. And this is why, the reason I felt like this was a foreword, so to speak, for the crux for this year is because I know there's a bunch of students coming. And I know that if we give them information about Jesus, we're going to be throwing pearls into a field. But if we give them fiery hearts, if we give them revelation, if we give them encounter, if we tell them the simple gospel, we don't need to add more fluff to it. We don't need to try to convince. The gospel's convincing as is. All we need is the simple gospel, the simple seeds. And I, I, I can't do it alone. I can't do it by myself. I need an army of people. There's thousands of them. I need an army of fiery ones who won't just leave and say, I'll go to a new burning place because I've learned all the information I can get here. But those who will stay and say, I'll become a burning one so that others can encounter him as well. Thank you for listening to the Crux Podcast Sermon of the Week. Be sure to visit summitsanmarcos.com for other exciting content from Summit Church.